0: I want to invite uh, dear brother Lee Ulmer up to the platform with me. Uh, Lee and Jessica and their children are here with us this morning. And uh, we partner with them in ministry through supporting them financially and in prayer uh, in their ministry in Peru. And uh, it's just uh, almost two years ago that they went. And uh, just before that, Lee and his family were here with us, and Lee shared. So, if you were with us a couple of years ago, you may remember Lee. Um, many of you know the Ulmers from their time here at Crossroads several years ago. They were part of our Crossroads family, and he'll talk a little about that more in, in a moment. But um, from here, they went to help with a uh, small church, and uh, from there, God sent them to Peru. And I know you're going to be blessed by his story, and so... Lee, we welcome you guys today. We're excited and very thankful to be partnering with you in ministry. And uh, if you're not aware, uh, if you don't have one of these booklets that our Global Outreach team put together... Uh, highlights all of the missionaries that we support. I really would encourage you to grab one of these. You can get it from the kiosk, I believe, right outside these doors here are our Global Outreach uh, television kiosk there. And by the way, you can catch up on prayer requests and all kinds of things each week. If you just stop for a moment and watch what's on that screen, you'll be encouraged and blessed by uh, things from all of our missionaries. But So grab one of those booklets, and Lee and Jessica are in there a little bit about their, their ministry among the Peruvian people. At the uh, Madre de Dios uh, region in particular, among the, uh, let's see if I can get it right, Herringboot people. You did, you did better the first service. I did. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> see? Yeah, that's why you need practice, right? So <laughs> Lee will make sure and correct that as he shares with us. But uh, So join me in welcoming Lee as he shares with us today. All right? Let's do that.
1: Thank you. Hey, as we were singing and worshiping up here, and I was thinking about, about holiness. Uh, I'm just totally struck by the fact that I am not sufficient to stand before you today. I'm not even sufficient to say his name of myself, but my sufficiency and your sufficiency comes from him. So as we um, begin our uh, lesson time this morning and the, the sermon, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for being a good God, for being holy and for caring for us. I thank you for taking regular men and using them for the sake of your name, for giving each of us here an opportunity to share in your work, to be a part of it, to, to take part in what you could rightly do on your own if you wanted to, that you've chosen to include us. I'd like to thank you for that. I'd like to ask you to quiet hearts and quiet minds and anything that might seek to distract us this morning, Lord, and help each of us to focus. I ask you to speak this morning, speak to hearts, speak to minds, and give us a message that, that, that sticks, Lord, something that we can apply. I'd like to thank you for uh, who you are once again and the opportunity to gather here this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, so... Jess and I, uh, she's sitting over there, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. And I was just thinking about that this morning, about uh, where, where we were not, not so very long ago. Uh, we were attending, attending a small church, uh, not, not because we wanted to, but because we felt guilty if we didn't. So we, we went there, at complete honesty, right? <laughs> because we felt guilty if we didn't. And uh, we came to the point where, where we realized, uh, or Jess informed me, that we, needed, that we needed to make a change. And she was right. So um, we stepped out and started to visit various churches. Um, Crossroads was not the first that we visited, but, but it was uh, on our short list. We visited a few And then we walked in these front doors over here on the west side with far less gray hair and a little bit more hair up here. (laughs) And as soon as we walked through the door, I saw two people. I saw Bob Reed and I saw James Stone. I did not know James yet, but I knew exactly who Bob was. Uh, I was a wrestler in high school, uh, so I'd been across the mat from Bob. I'd wrestled uh, people that he had trained. I knew exactly who he was. And Bob saw us walk in, and he carried this, this joyful air about him. When he saw us come in, he latched on to us immediately and walked us around the church and showed us where all of the classrooms were and made us feel so very welcome, our very first visit, and crossrooms, crossroads from that point on became our home. During that time, um, Paul Spasik was the interim pastor. And because he's, because he's sitting here today, I'm just going to share just a real quick story. There came a, there, there came a Sunday when um, Paul was set to, to, to speak on tongues. And he stood up here, and he had this thing. Uh, his phone rang, and he answered the phone, and he said, Oh, thank goodness. I, I thought I was going to have to speak on tongues tonight folks, I've got to leave is what he said. And then <laughs> of course it was a joke and he stayed and finished his message. But <laughs> during, the, during that same time, um, a, li- a little bit later on, um, a family came candidating to the church, um, last name being Yoder. And uh, they came to our home. And uh, when they were still candidating, Jess made a few crock pots worth of uh, various kinds of soups. And we, we enjoyed fellowship together. And uh, well, you know what happens after that. So there were other people in this church that played a major part in the development of us into the image that God wanted us to be. Um, those things happened during small groups. If you're not involved in a small group, getting plugged in, in one. There's my plug for that. And through men like, like Todd Kelly and Bob Reed, and both of those men are now gone, but they played a major part, a major part in my life in my development and uh, part of what led us here. So one Sunday, um, Pastor Scott was preaching. We were sitting over there on that side of the building, and I became completely overwhelmed with, the, pe- with the, the fact that God was drawing us back to the small town we came from. Like he had prepared us for something through, the, through our small groups here, through the men who had poured into me, and the women that had poured into Jess, we'd been prepared and now it was time to go. And we were so very happy and so very comfortable here. And everything was so very good. <laughs> but I stood up during the service and I walked into the prayer room because I knew, I knew that God was calling us away. I talked to Jess on the drive home. Um, Told her what I was feeling, what, uh, what I thought we had to do, and um, she wasn't so very excited about the idea, <laughs> but we obeyed, and she followed, and we went, and uh, along, with, along with four other couples, we were, we were able to take part in a church plant in Tippecanoe, Indiana, um, that has grown and matured and turned into seven, eight I'm terrible with timelines. Nine years later, turned into our sending church. So it's been this beautiful thing of, wa- of watching God work and do things that only he can do. So uh, our message today comes from the book of Philippians in chapter 3 and in verse 17 through 21. So if you want to uh, get your Bibles out or, or look up on the screen, I think it's about to pop up up there. I'm going to read... 17 17 through 21 to you, and then we're going to go through verse by verse and discuss it in a little bit more depth. It says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. So as we get started and get ready to dig into this a little bit deeper, this particular passage is speaking of godly examples, and it it gives you a comparison Uh, here. It shows you what what is a good one, and then what is a negative one. So in verse 17, it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Now, as we sit here today, each of us has a question that we really need to answer for ourselves. Is do I even desire to be like that, and am I worth someone uh, worth following? As I've thought about Paul's words uh, here, at first it almost it almost rings it almost rings with arrogance. I unless you consume Paul's works as a whole, because if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, it says, "Follow me." as I follow him. So what Paul's calling you to here in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example. He's telling you to imitate Christ because he himself is seeking to imitate Christ. Christ. And it says, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. When I first came up here, just a few moments ago, I shared with you the, the names of, a f- of of a few men that I saw Christ in. Men that I saw and immediately i am like, "This is someone worth imitating," because this is someone who's imitating Christ. I was struck struck by always by uh, the humility of Todd Kelly. I loved him. He had so much wisdom and so much to impart, but thought so little of himself. Uh, I really, really appreciated Todd. So it says here, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So we're to be looking for those examples in our lives. Verse 18 says, for I have often told you before and now tell you again, even through tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, what's Paul trying to communicate here? He's trying to communicate first a warning because it says, join together in following my example, jump forward to 18. um, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's warning you that not everyone is worth imitating because not everyone is seeking to imitate Christ. In reading that passage, it, it it hits me two different ways. I accept the warning as Paul intended it. But also my heart is a little bit torn up. Because I know that there was a time when I personally lived as an enemy, an enemy of the cross of Christ. So when I think about those people that we're being warned against here, I'm reminded that I was once one of them. Verse 19 says, They're Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, following that passage, I have a a, a picture that I'd like you to see. It's it's an image of a tree, if you wouldn't mind putting that up. Now, you're looking up here at this tree, and, uh, and you're probably looking at it the same way that I do typically at least, until I realize what's actually going on there. and It's a tree. <laughs> I've got 17 of them in my yard, right? <laughs> We're in Indiana. There's trees all down the side of the road. I've seen a tree before. There's nothing magnificent about what you're showing up there. That tree happens to be on the side of a, of a river, on like a little channel coming off the main body of a river. And I encountered it because at the little missionary school that my, that my daughters go to, uh, it's, it's really small, they have this thing called Ditch Day in which the, all of the high school students are allowed to just not show up for school one day. The teachers will have prepared the message. They show up to teach and no students. Now, there is a rule for this, and as a part of, that, uh, as a part of this agreement that they're allowed to have this Ditch Day, they're required to pick at least two chaperones to go along with them, and, and uh, I was able to go. Just so you have an idea of, of the, the scale of this, this school, uh, in Pucallpa, Peru, our graduating class this year was two. <laughs> not very large. But so these, uh, these high schoolers, Sydney, <laughs> she's always like, that's not exactly the way it happened, Dad. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> These high schoolers, what they did of their own accord is they went and they found they found a riverboat uh, riverboat operator, and they were going to take a, take like a tour down down the river for the entire day with the high school class. So I was there to be a part of it. And as we're floating down this little channel uh, to get to the main body of the Ukayali River, I saw this tree. And as you look at it, it looks like it's everything that God meant it to be. Uh, it's it's going to receive constant nourishment. It's on, the, it's on the bank of the river. It's at a place where there's not going to be too much current, so it's going to be able to stand there without falling in. Uh, and it looks healthy, but the problem is that tree holds a secret. The secret is that tree is dead. So you're now looking at it, and you're asking, you're asking yourselves or waiting for me to tell you how a tree that looks so good could possibly be dead. There is a vine, a vine in the jungle called suelda con suelda, and which means weld upon weld. So this 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 vine grows from the top down in the tree, and as soon as it is there or conceived, it continues to spread. And the very first thing that happens as that, that vine has grown into has grown into something is the tree stops to produce fruit. So think of this, think of this like sin. Sin in, sin in the lives, in your life, and in the lives of unbelievers, when that sin starts to grow, it leads to death. The first thing that happens is you stop to produce fruit. It's not easy to spot, and in that picture, you can't tell at all that there's anything wrong with that tree. But the tree is dead. That vine is going to continue to suck all of the nutrients out of the tree and remove from it everything that God intended for it to be. It's on a constant attack. And after just a little bit more time, the tree will be completely dry. It will die and fall into the river. And just as I shared just a few moments ago where it talked about many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, I was born... With that sin in me, and each of you was born with that sin in you, and as the sin grows, it leads to your death. Unless what? Unless Jesus Christ. Jesus is Christ, uh, God is described in the Bible as a, a gardener, or a husbandman, or a vine dresser in various ways. Um, uh, who comes in and prunes so that, so that fruit can grow. Now, let me ask you, brother and sister, are you able to live without sinning? Man, I wish I could. <laughs> I really desire to, but I can't. The difference, the difference between this tree that Christ is building in me and the tree that, that you see on that, that uh, uh, slide now Is that Jesus comes in and prunes it back. And he says, This sin will not lead to your death as he takes it upon himself. Think about that for just a little bit. What's the real difference between you and the unbeliever? There's only one thing it's not your own sufficiency. The sufficiency of Christ alone. Verse 19 says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Their destiny is destruction. That tree is going to die if it's not gone already, because that's where sin leads. Their God is their stomach. All that vine cares to do is consume. And their glory is in their shame. That tree stands there looking like it is what God intended it to be. And it takes takes a discerning mind to be able to tell the difference. It takes a little bit of knowledge of the grace and peace that comes from Jesus Christ alone. You have got to be able to look at it to know the difference. Folks, we can be deceived. If we begin to look at worldly examples of people that we think are, are worth imitating, you can, you can throw all sorts of qualities up there that, that, you, that you think are admirable. You can think of success. You can think of popularity. You can think of friends on Facebook, right, and think, I want to be like that person. Don't look at qualities of the world. Look at men and women who are genuinely seeking to imitate Christ. Because men and women like that pour in to people like me and people like you. In order to help you follow them to be a closer image of Christ yourself. So verse 20, verse 20 talks about our destiny. Whereas verse 19 talks about the destiny of those who do not follow Christ. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior, from, uh, a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our destiny is what? Is it death? No, our destiny is not death. Our destiny is in heaven. Our citizenship is there. That's who we belong to. Verse 21 who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that, they will, be like, so that uh, they will be like His glorious body. By the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform us into this tree of righteousness that closer re- resembles Him. This passage is about imitation and following. And each of us has a decision to make. Who do we want to be like? And do we want to be someone worth following as we imitate the only one that matters? So we're going to close this section of our, of our message and move on to the ministry update portion. Uh, would you mind putting the slide up that has the map on it? That one. So in September, in September of 2021, September 20, the 28th, I believe, we landed in Pucallpa, Peru. We'd left everything that we knew behind and moved to a place where we couldn't even communicate. We spoke no Spanish. When we got there, we joined, we joined the launch team. The launch team's job is to prepare us for jungle missions, to prepare us to work amongst the indigenous there, and to start our language acquisition in Spanish. And one of the first things that they, that they do is they, prefer, uh, they uh, set up for us visits to five churches. And they took us and they dropped us off. They didn't go in, they dropped us off. Now, we spoke no Spanish. Uh, I had spent about a year learning portuguese prior to that thinking that someday I might end up in brazil so we were at one one church in particular and the pastor comes up and he wants to greet us and he's trying to talk to us and i panicked because i spoke no spanish and i answered him in portuguese and so he he calls his brother-in-law up who is brazilian and speaks portuguese and he tries to talk to me. Well, I can't really speak that either. <laughs> so here we are. No Spanish, no real Portuguese, everyone confused. So when people have asked us over the years, what is it like, what is it like to engage in foreign missions, to leave everything that you know behind, go to a place where you cannot even speak the language, that's a great example. It's like the whole uh, drinking from a fire hose analogy, right? You, there's a, there are a lot a lot of awkward conversations, and as your your language skills continue to grow, um, you make more gaffes, a whole bunch of funny ones I don't have time to share with you tonight. But um, Peru has approximately 50 different indigenous groups that live there, 50 different tribes um, that speak a total of 14 different languages, and each of those tribes has their own dialect of the language that they speak and some of them are so very different from the main version of the language that although they meet with the tribe that speaks the same language they still can't communicate. So those languages are not affiliated in any way with Spanish or anything Latin, they're completely unique and they've grown up and they've grown up in the jungle on their own. Next slide please. So as you look up on the map there, you see a state that's highlighted, highlighted in red. That is the state of Madre de Dios, which uh, Pastor Scott perfectly pronounced. <laughs> and in that state of Madre de Dios is a people group, which he didn't. <laughs> it's the uh, Arancam people. So there are actually eight, eight separate uh, tribal groups that exist in that small little state of Madre de Dios in that little country of Peru. And of, the, of those eight different people, uh, eight different tribes, each of those will have a series of, of communities spread out in, a, in the section of jungle that they, uh, that they control or occupy. Um, the Arancan people that we're working with, they have 12 communities. Um, and the people can number in the 20s, or there's one community called Puerto Luz, where they number eight, about 800 people living in a community in the middle of the jungle cut off from everything else. Uh, next slide, please. As we, joined the, as we joined the launch team and began to learn um, uh, about the belief structures of the indigenous, and we, as we were coming close to the end of that program, it came time for us to choose our, to choose our work. Um, we really thought in the beginning, being inexperienced missionaries, uh, specifically for inexperienced foreign missionaries, that we would join an existing team. That was our plan. <laughs> but as you know, man can make his, make his plans, but God directs his steps. So uh, the, the, the team that you're looking up there is half my, well, I guess more than half, but is my family, and then also the Trujillo family. Uh, those two people that you're looking up there at there right now are Miguel and his wife, Gray, and they are super special people with a wealth of experience in tribal ministry specifically. Miguel has worked with American missionaries for the past 16 years uh, in in various aspects of ministry, always tribal, where he did things such as translating for medical missions. He was was connected with a man named Tom Huff. Tom was born and raised in a tribal community in the country of Peru before the city that I now live in existed. Um, He now lives in Bluffton, and takes monthly trips into the jungle with medical teams. So he will have a a team of surgeons uh, one month, and then the next next month might be dentists or ENTs, general practitioners. It's month after month he brings these teams in, and Miguel has worked with him for a very, very long time, um, translating as as they they attempt to treat uh, the people that exist in these tribal communities. And they always do this in connection with the local church. So Miguel has a lot of experience. And brings a lot of wisdom to our team but for all of the wisdom and experience that miguel brings his wife brings more you see again we're there to do indigenous work we're there to bring the gospel to the indigenous and his wife gray is of the shipibo people she grew up in a tribal community Um, her father was the director of a shipibo bible institute whose work it was to bring Shipibo men in from, their, from uh, other Shipibo communities, to train them up in the gospel, and to send them back out to reach their own people. It's beautiful. The Shipibo were one, of the, were, one of the first, were one of the first in Peru to receive the gospel, and it has grown up in them. So Gray, being indigenous herself, has also seen her father, seen the love of Christ in her father, as he worked to, to further the kingdom as well. So these people bring so much wisdom and so much experience to our team. The day that we were getting ready to leave to come here for our furlough, that very, that very same morning, as Jess, Jess and I were frantically preparing uh, to finish up whatever packing we had, we had left to do, another friend of ours came over. His name is Noé, and his wife is Karina. Noé is the Spanish translation of Noah. We've been talking to them for a while, and Noé came over to say, e, Hermano, brother, we want to join your team. Now, Noé is a leader in his church. He preaches on many Sundays, and he has been, he has been involved in indigenous missions for a very long time. So I see, I see God building this team up in us to reach, to reach this isolated people group in the state of Madre de Dios in the little country of Peru, and I think about Karina and Noe and Miguel and Gray, and I feel sorry that God gave them a group of gringos. <laughs> 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 They're good people, and I am really, really excited uh, to, see what God, to see what God has done. Uh, let's move forward to the, the slide of Boca Inn and Body. So Miguel and I planned our first trip. Into the south of the country, uh, into that Madre de Dios state, searching for a specific people group that we'd heard about, and in partnership with a local church that exists in the Madre de Dios region. There, are, there were two, uh, two elders there, names uh, Hermano Rolando, Brother Rolando, and Hermano Miguel, Brother Miguel, not the same Miguel as my teammate. And those, those two men have helped us make some connections. Um Hermano Rolando has a connection with a group called Samaritan's Purse. So he, uh, he was the one for the entire state of Madre de Dios that a Samaritan's Purse was out to, to distribute uh, the things that, that, they, that they had. He was the one that delivered them to tribal communities. So Hermano Rolando was able to make these connections for us and give us instant credibility with some of these tribal peoples because they know him and they trust him and because they know him and they trust him when he tells them you can trust them they're coming here for the gospel for you we, we enjoy um, trust because of that it's a beautiful thing so this particular community that you're looking up right, at right there right now is called Boca Inimbari. Uh the, the river system that that one is on is called the Inambati River and Boca means mouth so it says the community of the mouth of the Inambati River When we went there, um, and Miguel and I stepped into that community, I want to ask you how you think an indigenous community receives a a, a gringo with red hair, and that time I had a beard, too, which is also red, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. They they all saw me, and instantly it was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) You don't belong here, gringo. (laughs) But we had an appointment with the chief. Um, so they said, okay, um, follow that boy to the chief's house. And they sent this boy running ahead of us. And Miguel and I had the job of trying to keep up with this indigenous boy running down this jungle path to find the house of the the chief. And when we got there, we found this man. Now this particular community is fairly close to the city. Um, and they dress very much in, in a way that you would think of as normal, normal clothing. When we got there, we sat down with the chief, and he started to tell us his story. And over the, over the course of telling us his story, he got out his bow and his arrows, and they, as they sat next to him, now I had, excuse me, now I had seen bows and arrows like this all over town, sold as souvenirs, all over the place. So I asked a super ignorant question. I said, you still use those? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, yeah. So he gets out two arrows, and he's showing us the difference in between the two. Uh, one of them was small. The tip was, was broken off of it, and there was some dried blood going down the side of it even. He said, this is the one I use for small animals. Cool. And then he gets out the other one. The other one is much taller. It has, like, like a jagged edge, and their teeth down the side of it. The shaft of it lo- is much larger. He says, this is the one I use for large animals and people. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Note. So this people group, the Arankambut people, used to be a warrior tribe. Um, constantly in conflict with, with the tribal groups that were around them. They find themselves now a much more peaceful tribe. So they're not an overtly aggressive group. They're not out looking for a fight. They will defend themselves. And they do it with these arrows. And in that moment, I was so very grateful that he knew that we were coming. (laughs) So this particular community, because it is the closest to the city, has already been working with a local church that exists in the community or in the city. And they have even constructed a church building there already. So when he uh, showed us this church building that has existed in their community, I asked him if they had the word of God in their language. And with a a look of pride on his face, he walked back into his house and he came walking back out with this ragged red Bible. Just ragged and beat from years. And he showed it to us and he said, of all of the Aranquan communities, of which there are 12, this is the singular only copy of the word of God in our language. Now, What he didn't know at that time was that I have a copy of it. I don't just have a copy. I have it on my computer, and I can print out as many as I want. Now, this was our first trip into the jungle, and my Spanish hasn't improved since then. But at that time, it was terrible. So Miguel had to do all of the talking, or almost all of the talking, and he had the burden of trying to explain to a tribal man a computer file. which ended up saying, okay, we don't, uh, we don't physically have it, but we can get it, and we'll bring it back to you. And, and uh, the, the, whole, the whole conversation had taken a bit of a shift. And again, this is a man with authority. He speaks, and people listen. And he told us, here is what's going to happen. He says, you are going back into town. You are going to get that Bible, and you're going to bring it back to me today. <laughs> because he knew there was just enough, just enough daylight left to get back into town if we physically had it, and then bring it back to him that day. So Miguel was, was able to explain that it was going to take us some time, and that seemed to satisfy him. So we went back into town that same day, actually found a printer the very same day, and were able to print out and spiral bind the Bible. You see him holding up there now. So the first thing he did was not try to read it himself, because he's completely blind in one eye, and the other eye is all, is all beat up, too. You can't see out of it very well. He handed it to Miguel, and he said, Read. Miguel does not speak Aranquimbut. <laughs> and uh, native words... They have, a separate, they have a whole separate set of vowels, even, and they will add suffixes to the words to change the meanings of it, like English, except they stack their suffixes, and they do prefixes, and they stack those two until you end up with a word that's about that long, and Miguel was sitting there attempting to read to him. You can see, as you look up at the picture, the joy on the, on the chief's face as he's listening to the word of God being read to him, and he would correct each word as, as Miguel tried to say it. I asked him afterwards if I could take his picture with his Bible, with his new Bible. He, and, and he consented to that. But then he started to yell at all of the kids that were, that were standing around us. He said, Donde esta mi corona? Where's my crown? Donde esta mi corona? Because he wanted to have his picture taken with his feathers on. <laughs> so uh, w- we did that. And we're, we're able to get a good, uh, a good picture of him today. Since, since taking that trip, we've been able to distribute many, many more Bibles... Um, we've been able to get them actually, actually bound. We found a printer who could actually bind them like a book instead of just being spiral bound. And I'd like to show you, show you a picture of just one more tribal community before we close. So let's move on to San Perfect, San Jose de Cadene. This is another, This is another community, more isolated, further up the river. And in this community we were able to hold our very first church services with the Arankanbut people. And we were able to do it in that little room that you see standing right there. Now, as you look at at that door, there's a skull painted on there and chains painted on the door. And when I saw it, I was excited by it. I'm like, this is perfect. Because sin leads to death. And sin keeps us in bondage. And the same as he has been doing since his his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ is still in the business of rescuing people from death and setting them free from the bondage of sin. (laughs) So in that community, we had our very first service. Um, I have a small treat for you tonight as we're closing out the service as a whole. There is a song um, that many, many of you have probably heard before, called "I Have Decided to Follow Jesus." You've heard it, right? How many of you have ever heard it in a tribal language? It's a very it's a very short song. It's less than a minute. And uh, after after it's finished playing, I'll close this in prayer as the worship team comes up. Please.
0: Cristo tataba y no puende, Cristo tataba y no puende, Coreya ve, Corea ve. Toto tayen po, Cristo taytabay. Toto tayen un po, Cristo taytabay. Toto tayen un po, Cristo taytabay. Corea ve, Coreya ve. Non en kore pindo krito tai tai wai. Non en kore pindo krito tai Nong wai. Non en kore taita krito tai tai wai. Kore yabe,
1: Father, as we bow here together, that song speaks to me. I'm humbled by it, and I want to hear it sung so many more times. I'd like to thank you for the people that have come out today to hear from you, Lord. I'd like to ask that the message that came to them about seeking out uh, imitators of you to follow would sink in. And then as a result, they would want to more closely imitate you, that they would want to more closely be someone who's imitatable. So thank you for everything that you've done with the Arankambut people and with the people that sit here today, Father, that your word may indwell us, that you may rescue more people from their bondage to sin, Father, and that your word would dwell richly here. So I thank you for those things, and I I pray for them, and I ask for them for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory alone. Amen.